Welcome back to He's a Giant, a pod about all things college football and all things Giants football brought to you by Monty and Sal. Monty, how is it going, bud? How's it going, Sal? It's going good, man. You know, just uh, watch some Thursday night football and ready, you know, talk some offensive tackles. Yep. So this is episode five. Uh, as you guys who have been watching us so far, again, thank you all of you guys who've been tuning in, listening, subscribing, liking. We appreciate all of the feedback. Uh, but as you guys know, we have gone through wide receivers, interior defensive linemen, edge rushers, and interior offensive linemen so far. Four out of the 11 planned position groups are going through today. We're going through the fifth group, which is offensive tackles. Yep. Uh, like all the other groups so far, this is a loaded group. The theme of the 2024 draft, some really high-end prospects in this class. But before we get into talking about this really good offensive tackle class, let's 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 get into some stuff going on with Giants football, Monty. So there has been a big discussion this week. Um, seems like it's it's been fueled by poor offensive line play, which sadly was not totally unexpected yep. uh, from the Giants. And something you and I talked about a ton over the summer leading into this year. But you know, there um, the, the drumbeat is growing to discuss how the Giants should actually invest in improving this line going forward. Uh, so, you know, there, there are a couple of schools of thought. They're sort of the reactionary, let's pour more resources into the line, more first-round picks, second-round picks. We've had people call. We've had people send us messages on Twitter and say, who are the, the tackles we're going to be taking in the first round yep. or the second round? Uh, and we've had to push back a little and say, I'm not sure that's the best idea. Um, and then uh, – to my delight, I saw Dan Schneier tweet out a, a really thoughtful tweet uh, earlier this week. Shout out to Dan. Kind of echoing something you and I have discussed, which is the Giants have already put in some resources into the line, some pretty expensive resources, and maybe where they need to be focusing is coaching. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's something you and I have talked about quite a bit. And, you know, the Giants have invested a fourth overall pick in Andrew Thomas, a seventh overall pick in Evan Neal, you know, a second round pick in John Michael Smith, an early third round pick in uh, Azudu. You know, they've had a was a fifth round pick in McKeithen. They they went ahead and got Mark Gowinski, who was brought in for our offensive line coach, Bobby Johnson, off his recommendation because they worked together in Indianapolis and we spent a good chunk of change on him. And so far, we just have not been able to develop any of these guys except for Andrew Thomas, who was here beforehand. So, um, you know, my concern is if we just continue to dump prospects into this guy who was shown time and time again so far that he can't develop offensive linemen, even in Buffalo. I mean, you, we, we talked about this too, not to go on a tangent, but Wyatt Teller was there the year before Bobby Johnson brought in, started the second half of the season. Bobby Johnson came in, didn't play him at all in the preseason. Then they traded him away at the end of the preseason because he didn't want any part of him. He became an all-pro in, in, uh, in Cleveland. So, yeah, I just yeah. don't trust giving this guy any more uh, young guys. So I'm I'm all for let's just go ahead and get a new online coach. If you're not going to do that, then you have to get proven guys because he's not developing these guys. Well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, let's not forget. Yeah, let's not forget. I mean, you the guys you mentioned are all the guys Joe Shane invested yep. in. But even Ben Bredesen, 
we traded a top of the top of the round fourth round pick for him, and when it was a pick swap where we gave away our fourth round pick, which I think was around 110 or something like that, um, maybe it was higher. Uh, and we got back a late fifth round pick from Baltimore, so it was lost like two rounds in that. Yeah, basically. Matt you know? Matt Parrott and was so, pick like 100 or 99 or something. Not, yeah, Matt Parrott was a top 100 pick. Um, I mean, if you look at our line on paper, forget about how they look in their performance, but just the investments, this should be a loaded room. This should be a top five offensive line in the NFL, just based on where we selected these guys and the amount of money and draft allocation resources put into it. And, you know, you could argue that maybe you overdrafted Josh Azudu. Mm -hmm. I certainly think we overdrafted him by a couple of rounds, at least. Um, And you probably overdrafted Marcus McKeithen by a little bit. But the rest of the guys are probably about right in their allocation of resources. Yep. Evan Neal was an absolute stud in Alabama. Uh, it wasn't a question of whether or not he'd be a good or functional offensive tackle in the NFL. The question was, was he going to be elite, yeah. like a pro, an all-pro? Um, and he had weaknesses in his game, but he had a, a lot of strengths. People forget he had tremendous gifts in, in Alabama. He was a powerful powerful offensive tackle who had incredible athleticism great footwork really powerful hand usage even if you know he he would get beat to the outside by speed rushers he was able to to recover quickly Mm -hmm. so he had that kind of athleticism where that allowed him a lot of room for error where you thought there's not a you know there's so many ways this guy can be good that he's gonna at least be solid the guy doesn't look like a functional NFL player right now yeah um so again like you know even if this line didn't perform up to the the resources put in at bare minimum, you would expect them to be sort of a middle of the pack NFL offensive line. And we are the worst offensive line in the NFL, according to PFF ranking. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, injuries have hurt, obviously not having Andrew Thomas for a couple of games has definitely hurt. Not having Ben Bredesen in the San Francisco game definitely hurt, but you know, losing a guy like Ben Bredesen should not meaningfully impact your lines performance. No. Uh, so it, it's a problem. And we're getting really underwhelming performances. It's really ruining the ability to evaluate so many other parts of this team. It's it's absolutely destroying the ability of the offense to get anything going. Um, I know you and I have maybe more bearish views on Daniel Jones's prospects as a passer in the future. But one thing was for sure that you know if Daniel Jones had some protection, if he had some decent protection, at the very minimum, he was a guy that if you gave him a clear passing lane, he could live in the middle of the field and make some good accurate throws and move the, move the ball, yep. right? And have the threat of that kind of passing game and move, use his legs. If he, if he doesn't get that protection, he's just not going to function. Mm-hmm. There are quarterbacks who, you know, who can, who can live through fire mm-hmm. and can throw the ball very quickly. And, and, you know, they're okay with it. Jones has never been that guy. That's okay. You were supposed to build a nice protective barrier around him so he could be the best version of himself. We're not even seeing that. So it's a problem, man, and I, I, I'm really kind of tired of seeing the Giants throw money at this in terms of draft capital and, and free agent spending just to have, like you said, this coach or whatever coaches we've had just absolutely ruin these guys. So I agree. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with Dan's sentiment. Dan, I think, is basically saying what we've been saying. Um, but look – Certainly after this season, barring a dramatic turnaround in this Lions play, you got to be looking elsewhere. But you and I have talked about this, and we can segue into the, the, the upcoming game against Seattle, but if this game doesn't go well in Seattle 
and our line, which should be pretty much close to whole, it sounds like, yep. you know, where everybody's getting healthy. If this line doesn't look really good against a, a very ho-hum defensive line of Seattle, yeah. I mean, and we lose this game, let's just, God forbid, the line looks bad. I mean, at that point, like, I know it sounds reactionary, but the, you know, you should start the strong drumbeat that, do you really think Bobby Johnson deserves to finish the season? Yeah. Should, or should he, or should he be considered for replacement early on? What are your thoughts on that? So I said it, I said it earlier today. I sent out a tweet. I'm like, if the offensive line derails the game Monday, Bobby Johnson shouldn't be the coach Tuesday. And the reason I say that outside of the fact that I, you know, I have been beating the drum for Bobby Johnson to be replaced is that we have, we'll then be one in one and three. And we'll have the Miami Dolphins and um, the Buffalo Bills coming up. And at that point, we are looking um, one and five right in the face. And at that point, I'm just like, it's all about developing your pieces moving forward. At that point, the, if, if we start one and five, the season effectively is over from a playoff standpoint. And, you know, there's still something to be left about developing your long-term pieces and having something moving forward into the next season. And at that, and then I'm just like, let's stop being around the bush and keeping around Bobby Johnson for consistency standpoint, like make a change, bring in a guy. Like I've said it, like a guy like Googe who was here for the same reason when Mark Colombo wasn't working out, he's basically a mercenary, but he's a good offensive line coach. And, See if he can get this thing back on the rails. I mean, I don't necessarily think you'll be here long term, but we need something. You know, I mean, even if you just see if the assistant offensive line coach can get something moving, you want to see if a former Giants like offensive line coach wants to come in and help out. But it's it's not working with yeah with uh Bobby Johnson. He doesn't seem to want to adjust. He hasn't yet to let Evan Neal even try a vertical set. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to say at this point. Like, you, you can, you don't want to necessarily go crazy into the weeds of people's methodology of how they do their job. But I will say, and I say this a lot, especially when we discuss on, on spaces, um, at the end of the day, this is a results-oriented business, and the results are really, really not good for offensive line production on this team, and it hasn't been for a long time. Uh, it's especially obvious and it really sticks out when you take an outlier approach you do you take an outlier approach anything you're, you're sticking your neck out and you're saying i know more than everybody else and i i can do this correctly when everybody else thinks i'm doing it wrong and that's okay there's nothing wrong with taking an outlier approach but you got to be right yep. the way they they took a you know an outlier approach with the whole line rotation rotating the guards play to play left guard to right guard right guard to left guard different like they did that throughout the summer they never let these guys get set there was nobody who was like the set left guard. Nobody's a set right guard. Even now, it's sort of like unclear, like who really is our best left guard? Who's our best right guard? Like we think we might know, but it's almost like by attrition that we think we know. Um, and so they took an outlier approach. I'm assuming that Dable had a big hand in that. Had to, right? Yeah, I mean, we saw but the same certainly thing. It was Johnson. Who was our New England guy. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, Johnson had a hand. I mean, Johnson's the guy doing it. And it's failing. You take an outlier approach and it's failing. So this is not me just coming down on Bobby Johnson, but Bobby Johnson is a coach of that unit. And even if it's Brian Dable who is having a hand in this, look 
he's I think he's a great coach, but if this is his doing and Bobby Johnson is doing his bidding, you know, he should take a step back and say, I'm not doing, this is not working. And you may want to get a professional here who actually does O-line coaching a little bit better than what these guys are doing. So I would agree with you. You, you want to make a change if this doesn't work. Um, before we get into a few minutes of talking about the upcoming game, and people have asked us, like, what coaches are you looking at? Who would you be looking at in case you make a change? Obviously, my profile picture on Twitter, for those who know me, last couple of weeks has been Mike Munchak, who I think is the best in the business. Yep. Um, three, you know, outside three, of me. Yeah, certainly, like, guys like him, Bill Callahan, Jeff Stoutland, they're probably the top guys in the, in the business. Um, you know, he's he's out there. He doesn't have a job right now. Um, and I think that's by choice. He's He wants to kind of be on the West Coast to be close to his daughters. Um, I think he is consulting for the Steelers, kind of like Nick Fangio did. He was, yeah. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, when people say things like, I don't want to be too far from the West Coast or whatever for family, that's a guy you just have to, you have to test that theory by just throwing money at it and saying, look, I get what you're saying, but here's a shit ton of money. <laughs> and do you want to turn it down? Um, and you got to try. And maybe he wants to be part of something. So that's one guy that I think we should all definitely be targeting. Um, we've talked about what happens if Mike Kafka moves on in some capacity yep. after this season, right? And I don't know if he's going to get a head coaching job or not. I think he's still better respected around the league than most Giant fans are giving him credit for right now. They're, I think they're blaming him kind of in a silly way for what's going on. But let's just say he doesn't get a head coaching job. We know for a fact that Northwestern's program, his alma mater, is in turmoil. They have a temporary head coach right now, and they're probably going to be looking for a long-term solution. And he was sort of top of their list in the summer. Yeah, he was like the dream um, pick. And then we all—he was their dream pick. So, like, if if so, the way I see it with him is, if the Giants turn around and have a great offensive season by the end of it, he's going to be getting offers for head coaching jobs, or at least have a shot at them mm -hmm. in the NFL. If it's not working out great, and the anemia and the ineptitude of our offense, whatever the reason is hurting his prospects to be an NFL offensive coach, an NFL head coach, his best shot may actually be just leave the Giants and take the Jim Harbaugh route and go to college yeah. and take over his alma mater's program and build, build, which I'm sure what he'll end up making a pretty decent program at Northwestern. Um, Either way, I think there's a pretty good chance he's not our offensive coordinator next year. Okay. I think there's a lot of scenarios, more scenarios than not that he's not our OC next year. So let's say he's not. What can you do? Um, one approach is hire one of these guys to be these offensive line coaches. We talked about guys like Jeff Stoutland. Yep. Um, bring him in and say, you're the offensive coordinator slash run game coordinator slash offensive line coach. Yep. And, and you have Brian Dable and somebody else be the passing game gurus and you put your heads together and create an offense i mean essentially andy reed kyle shanahan they do things like this right they bring in specialists to work with the head coach to build an offensive program so what are your thoughts on, on something like that or what coaches you'd be looking at yes in case we moved on so you know there was a lot of talk that mike kafka might have left last off season he, he interviewed basically every single opening in the nfl last year and one of the things i did propose was exactly what you're saying i was like if we lose mike kafka I want to go take Jeff Stoutland, who, in my opinion, is the best coach on that Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff. To me, he is their most important and best coach. He is a Staten Island guy, so he's from New York. He, he is a Saban guy, just like Brian Dable is. Um, I think 
if you offered him and granted there was talks that he might have gotten an offensive coordinator offer this offseason a couple of his uh eagles coordinators got jobs and there's rumors that he had interest to go elsewhere or people had interest in him at least to go elsewhere but essentially the eagles gave him a raise and he yeah. wanted to stay but i think a job like the giants given you know those connections i and how big of a franchise is i think that is something that would interest him if you gave him a shot to be an offensive coordinator and you still have Brian Dable, who's an experienced play caller and he could still hold on to the, those responsibilities. And, you know, like you said, Stoutland is a run game coordinator in Philadelphia and one of the best run teams in the NFL. So I think he's still an yeah. asset there on top of being an elite offensive line coach, in my opinion, the best offensive line coach in the NFL I mean, if you, mm-hmm. you look what he did with a, He's up there. a total project in Jordan Mulata, who was a rugby mm-hmm. player, came in as a seventh round pick. He turned him into an all pro caliber player within two years. I can't imagine what he'd do if he got his hands on a guy like Evan Neal. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be an opportunity I'd love. We, we, we talked about it. Um, Adam Stanovich the offensive coordinator from the Packers, they went a very similar route with this where they had him as the offensive line coach. He excelled there. And when uh, Hackett moved on, they went and promoted Stenovich to be offensive coordinator. And he's done a good job And because they have LaFleur to do the play play calling. You know, they wanted to make sure to lock him in because you know what? Offensive line coach is probably the most important, um, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. the only thing I would I say agree. that's more important in general as a coach is head coach and coordinator of the opposite specialty of the head coach. Then I'd say offensive line coach three. I genuinely believe that. No, I agree with you. And I think you're seeing the best organizations, meaning the teams that have in the last decade have the most success. Organizations like, unfortunately, the Eagles, the Packers. They've invested in this and they've taken this approach, right? Even Even the Chiefs, like... They haven't taken the exact same approach, but they have taken the approach of having guys who 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 sort of subspecialize on their role on the offense. Yeah. The, the 49ers certainly do, right? They have run game coordinators, passing game coordinators who like supplement the uh, the head coach. So it's not a crazy idea to to do this. And I think the idea is you want to make sure you retain the best talent on the offensive line coaching staff. And so these are guys I'd be looking at. Um, there are guys in college you and I have talked about, you know, certainly the one thing that you and I love bringing up all the time is Kurt Anderson, also at Northwestern. Yep. Um, I think we're going to have to do a separate episode when we're done with our position groups just to go over some of these coaching, these, these coaching options yeah, on the O-line so. specifically and dive into them a little bit more. But, you know, I think, I think it's a discussion worth having and I, you know, I know you and I have been beating this drum quite a bit. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's nice to see other people yes. kind of join in on the chorus that hey there's a problem here and we can't just keep throwing resources in the draft and money at this we need to actually correct the development of these players or at least maximize it i i think it's fair to say they're certainly not being maximized and just how important having a coach like that is and to even to drive that point home look at the new england patriots the most successful franchise we've seen in recent history their associate head coach Dante Scarnecki, well, considered by many the best offensive line coach in NFL history. And he was there for the entire tenure 
of Bill Belichick until just recently. And I'll be honest. Yeah, the entire the entire Tom Brady tenure, basically. Yep. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, I think I think Tom Brady and Bill Belichick both deserve all the credit in the world. I think Dante Starnecki deserves a lot more of that credit than what he gets. I think he is almost just as important to that group as those two are. I, I, really would, I would love to get him. I would love to get him. I think he's about 76 years yeah. old now, so I'm not sure how much he I'll wants look, to go. I'd love for him to but consult. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Hey, listen, that's a guy I would bring. I don't know what he's doing right now. You yeah, know, he's puttering along, along somewhere in his retirement at a golf course. Yeah. But if he's if he's still got the fire in his belly, come down and help the Giants, man. We could use you. Yep. All right, let's get in. I know. Uh, let's get into a little bit about the Seattle game, and then we'll head into our into our player uh, player profiles for the offensive tackle class. Yep. So we got a game coming up against Seattle. Giants are one and two, um, and boy, is this game critical because after this game. We're at the Miami Dolphins, who just dropped a 70 spot, a 70 spot on the Broncos, and look like the top offense in the NFL by a country mile. And then you've got the the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I think it's a Monday night game again, right? Uh, or maybe it's a Sunday night game. I can't remember. Uh, but it's a primetime game against Buffalo in Buffalo um, after that. And the Bills are humming. And their defense is absolutely dominant right now. Just getting enormous rush from the defensive line. Josh Allen is putting it back together. He's finding targets. He's really playing out of his mind right now. Yep. Bills are looking like the Bills from early last year, the year before. So the Giants have a tough schedule coming up. The Seattle Seahawks are no slouch, but they're, you know, but they're probably the, the most likely win among the next three games. And this is a home game, Monday night football, a lot on the line here. Um, this is this is a game that I mean it gets as clo- this is as close as you can say this is a, to being a must win game. Yeah. Again, we find ourselves in the situation. Mm. Um, we were here two weeks ago. The Giants eked through that Arizona game, thank God. Um, but here we are again, must win game against the Seattle Seahawks. So give me your thoughts on the game going in. Yeah, man. I mean, you nailed that. It is a must win game because with that schedule coming up and just not the fact that we started one and two i think a lot of people have pointed out like a lot of people expected us to start one and two but it's not about the record it's about how we started and we we got blown out in week one week two yes it was a great second half which you know really kind of took away the taste of the first half but it wasn't like hey no they they aren't in our class like we're beating this team and i know they went beat the dallas cowboys and that makes makes us win a look a little bit better on paper but you know uh, that aside we went and played against san francisco and despite them kind of playing down to us and letting us hang around yeah. in that game we never capitalized we never took any of those chances to capitalize yeah. all those almost interceptions by brock purdy we couldn't we couldn't bring any of them down there was lots of chances to to really make a statement in that game we couldn't so i think now you know, a lot of people are looking at this game and they go, all right, we played Dallas. They're not in our class. We played the 49ers. They're not in our class. We played uh, Cardinals and we beat them. Um, they're like, now we're playing Seattle, who a lot of people believe that should be in our class. You know, the barely made the playoffs, had a similar record as last year's the Detroit Lions. Like these type of teams, the NFC, NFC last year were all close. We were right. Even though they beat us, we were right there with them. So you know, we're playing them on a home game. They have to travel almost 3,000 miles to come play us. And it's it's a game that you have to show up 
and win at this point. It, it the with the schedule coming up and just what we've done for our momentum standpoint, making sure this locker room isn't lost on the season and you know, really realistically giving yourself a fighting chance after the next two games, you have to win it. Yeah. It's a must win. I, I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. Um, and you nailed the 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 way we got here. The how we got here is the what's got everybody kind of concerned about this season right now, and rightfully so. Um, the Giants have looked absolutely inept on offense. Um, sure, injuries have hurt. Losing Saquon Barkley has hurt. Offensive line play with injuries definitely hurt. Even with that, even with that, you know other. People don't want to hear this. Other teams deal with injuries. Yep. Other teams have star players go down. They have offensive line injuries. Offensive line play across the NFL is not good on on average. It's not good. Um, yeah, the Giants are awful. They're the they're they're the worst right now. So I'm yep. not making excuses for for that. But you know, our quarterback play has been poor. It has not been good. Daniel Jones has struggled, and our running game has been non-existent. Um, People want to make comments about our wide receiver room and the tight ends, and it's hard to gauge them. Mm-hmm. It really is because if the O line isn't holding up enough for this quarterback to be able to find a passing lane for his players to throw the ball to, you can't judge those guys. And if the O line's holding up and the quarterback's not pulling the trigger on some of these throws that may be available, explosive pass plays that are becoming available, like the one Bobby Skinner showed with, you know, Jalen Hyatt running free on the corner route. You, you, what, what are you supposed to do with that? How do you can't blame the wide receiver for that? He's getting, he's getting what he needs to on that route. We need better play from the offense. Um, it's not just Jones, but he's the quarterback. He's, yep. he's got to be the one who makes it happen. And I think this game is a big, big test for him to lead this offense. He's the leader of this team. He's the leader of this offense. That's what quarterbacks are. That's what you need to be, especially on a second contract, making money. you got to be the guy who leads your man out of the locker room and says, we're not losing this game. Kind of like he did in the second half of Arizona, yep. right? He took over that game single-handedly, and he gets all the credit in the world for that. He's got to be the one that comes out on this field, and he's got to put up, in my opinion, 30-plus points in this game, or we don't have a shot to win. This Seattle offense is explosive. They are, they are built very similarly roster construction-wise to the 49ers. They have a good, not great offensive line, and they have both of their tackles hurt, by the way. Yep, they have right a lot of injuries. Across a lot of injuries, and their right guard. So three-fifths of their line is, of their starting line has been hurt, um, and they haven't missed a beat. Um, and they're scoring 30 points a game, but you know they have three great wide receivers in DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, now JSN, although JSN has been dealing with a wrist injury, so hasn't been yet what we DK's all hope well. to see coming out of college. Yeah, but they're there. Uh, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet are a dynamic one-two punch in the running game. And, you know, Walker is more of your, you know, your elusive running back, makes, forces a lot of missed tackles. Once he gets in space, he looks for the home run. But Charbonnet out of UCLA, the rookie, he, he's just your old-fashioned, give him the ball, find a small gap, follow, follow his lead blocker, and plow through the line plow through the gap and pick up like chunk yardage kind of guy that way it's they have a pretty lethal combination on offense and it's and Geno Smith I mean has been fantastic for that offense for the last couple of years it looks like a savvy veteran pride of West Virginia oh, yeah. Geno Smith <laughs> <laughs> so he's put it all together Geno's putting up like 300 yards a game 
and and a bunch of touchdowns. They're scoring thirty points a game, man, and they're they're doing it on everybody. So you got to expect that with the way our defense has played, like even if they play better, they're going to be pushing thirty points. I don't see how we win this game unless Jones and this offense comes out and push thirty points. Somehow. What are your thoughts? Yeah, man. I mean, one thing to consider is the one weakness Seattle's really had is they've allowed, I believe, the most explosive plays in the NFL so far this season. And that has not been the strength of the Giants this year, but it, it needs to be when you have a guy like Jalen Hyatt, who you invested in the draft in. I mean, Paris Campbell hasn't been playing as well, but, you know, if you send him on a vertical route, he has one of the best like straight line speeds in the NFL. You have guys like Darius Slate and guys like Darren Waller. You have the weapons to try to, you know, take those shots. I know the offensive line has been hasn't been holding up, but it's not necessarily a strength of Seattle to rush the passer. So, you know, with Andrew Thomas back and, you know, with Daniel Jones legs, you got to hope that they can do something and take advantage of their struggles against the explosive pass game. And that's where you could hold up. I'll say the other thing that I want to look at at the other side of the ball is uh, I really want to stop the run game because that has been something that we've struggled immensely with so far this season it's something that we went into this offseason at with huge priority and we spent a lot of resources to try to you know clean that up and we haven't so far and yes you know seattle has a ton of weapons in their past game and that is strength of theirs but Pete Carroll always comes back to the run game. That's something that he's leaned on when he had Geno Smith or Russell Wilson. It's something that he wants to have as part of his game. And I think if you can slow that down, um, that's something they'll continue to try to establish and something he wants to have there. And at that that's a first step, I think, of stopping Seattle. Yeah. I, I want to get into, I want us to transition pretty quick, pretty uh, soon to our, player pro- profiles, but I, I will say this, and let's do a couple of predictions. Um, or maybe we can save the predictions till after, but I will say that I think that this is a game where in our, on defense, um, I really feel like, and I've said this to you, our personnel right now, uh, I, I feel like to maximize our defensive output, it's not exactly what Wink does, but I really feel like we're best suited to kind of be more in like a 4-3 kind of mode right now to rush the passer. Um, and to rotate, I, I think if Aziz is healthy, I would I would imagine the majority of the time your four down linemen are Kayvon, Dex, Leo, and Aziz Ojolari with Ashawn Robinson rotating in. Um, I know they're not going to do this, but I was just thinking about this. And the reason I was saying this is because, like you said, to stop the run, you need linebackers out there that you can trust. And right now, I don't think Wink Martindale is trusting his linebackers. And that's why he has Kayvon Dibodeau playing more like a Sam and setting the edge and trying to control the run game. It's, it, it's sort of, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit. Um, I really feel like the Giants need to start experimenting with having Micah McFadden at the mic and having Bobby O'Karake and Isaiah Simmons out there playing essentially outside linebacker. Um, I was never, as, as you know, and I've said in spaces a lot over the summer, I was never a big believer that Bobby O'Karake was a great Mike linebacker. I think his athletic profile and the way he was best utilizing Indy profiled more as a as a weak side linebacker, a guy who's athletic, who can who can move in coverage, who can stop the run from the outside, um, but not necessarily the mic because I think he he benefited from playing next to Shaq Leonard, and I, I think that that can't be overstated. I think they should try something like that, um, but I do think this is a tall task. I'll I'll give you my prediction. You can give me yours. 
Um, as much as I think this is a must-win game, I'm looking at this and I'm having a hard time seeing us win with the way we've been playing. Um, I think Seattle's going to drop 30 on us. And as much as I want to see the Giants fight back, and I think they'll be better this week, I see us losing a game something like 31-20. to 20. Somewhere That's been the prediction I've had. What about you? I think the Giants, in a must-win situation, I think that with Seattle traveling 3,000 miles and having 11 games, to pre- 11 days to prepare for this game and getting a lot of guys healthy, I think that they take advantage of this must-win and figure it out, and I think they win 28-24 is what I have. I like your optimism. Shout-out to our, our friend Authentic who posted that the Seattle Seahawks have played in MetLife Stadium five times and are 5-0 and in regular season games, 3-0 versus the Giants, 2-0 versus the Jets. And I I, uh, I cordially corrected him, and I said, they're actually 6-0 and at MetLife Stadium because they won the Super Bowl yep. here. So they're 3-0 and against the Giants, 2-0 and against the Jets, and 1-0 and against the Broncos in that beatdown at MetLife on that beautiful night back in, what was it, 2014 or whatever it was. So... Uh, the Seahawks do well here, but I hope you're right, Monty, and we get a, a W. It would be a lot more pleasant to talk about a 2-2 two and two Giants team on Monday night and Tuesday than talking about what may come on the other end of another loss. Yep, yep. But with, with that, you want to hop into this offensive tackle class? We're about half an hour into our show. Yep. Um, and we got we got a star-studded cast here, so why don't you get, get us going? Yeah, let's go ahead and hop in here. So um, I'll go ahead and share my screen here and we'll take a look at who I have here, which is Olu Fashanu. Um, he's six, six, 320 pounds out of Penn state. Uh, he had a, uh, 71 PFF grade last year with 84.7 pass block and 59.4 run block. I know that doesn't sound incredibly impressive, but you know, he's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily show up in PFF numbers, but is has been the offensive tackle one since last year. I mean, he yep. he would if he came out last year and he was eligible to come out last year, there was no question he would have been offensive tackle one off the board. He probably would have been a top five pick as well. He probably would have been battling with Will Anderson to uh, be the first non quarterback off the board. Um, he only allowed seven pressures last year. Um, and despite him going back to school for an additional year, he's only going to be 21 in his rookie year. He would have been 20 mm-hmm. in his rookie year if he came out last year. Um, he was a basketball player in high school. Uh, the, the football team actually con- was trying to convince him all the way leading up to high school to play football. And then his first day of high school, um, he the football team convinced him. And he stayed, uh, just gave him pads and like, suit up, buddy. You're playing offensive line. <laughs> um, and then this guy's just a freak athlete on top of being an incredibly polished player. And I'll let you go into that part of it. But, you know, he's number 23 on Feldman's freak list. He ran a 4.9740 this summer. That's 93rd percentile for offensive tackles. A 4.63 shuttle. Just 73rd percentile for offensive tackles. He benches 405, squats 605, and he power cleans 350 pounds. Total, total freak. But uh, tell us more about what makes him so special. Yeah, man. So I think we've discussed it. The way to visualize him, you know, from a Giants fan perspective, is he's the he's the anti Evan Neal. Um, 
you know, and, I, and that's not a knock on Evan Neal, so to speak. They're both phenomenal athletes. I think that they have in common. But the way he plays his game, the word that the one word to describe him is balanced. Yep. He's perfectly balanced. He fires off the snap as smooth as can be. You can see the basketball background and how smooth he moves. Um, and he's got complete control no matter what he's doing. He handles initial moves, handles counter moves. Always, always balanced, doesn't get pushed back, doesn't get pulled forward. He mirrors guys perfectly well. He he's he, he, you know, he moves like a dancer with these guys. He really does, he stays with them. And you can see yeah, he's a dancing bear, exactly. Uh he's a cocaine bear. <laughs> uh, but but he's 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 just that kind of amazing balanced athlete. He's coordinated, um, he gets to his landmarks quickly. Anybody who, who like routinely listens to Talking Giants, like you're going to hear the stuff that Bobby Skinner and Justin Pettig always talk about when they're criticizing Evan Neal. And he does this stuff instinctively. He gets to his landmark quickly. He gets to his third step. He, he's got great balance. He anticipates incredibly well in terms of pass rush move. He has incredible cerebral understanding of what's going on. I mean, and I think his teammates are about, you can see it. He diagnoses what's happening from the defense on the line and he's he just instinctively handles what's coming um he just has great instincts for the position i think that's the bottom line his great instincts and he has a natural athleticism and balance um he mirrors well and it, you know if he's dominated like top competition if you look at his tape when he played against ohio state um jc tuomalu had a great game in that game but all of his sacks and pressures came rushing against the right side when he went up against when he went up against olufashanu he just got stonewalled the whole time. Couldn't do anything. So, like, I mean, it's in one game, you saw the difference. Like, he just got what guys dominating on one side can't move on the other side. You could see the difference. When he went up against Derek Hall, who was just drafted, you know, um, by the Seahawks, I believe, right? I think he's on the Seahawks. Yeah, I believe so. We'll probably see him this week. Um, really great edge rusher from Auburn. Stonewalled him. Just nothing. It didn't give him anything. This guy is a high-level tackle. He's definitely OT1. He's going to come in and be a day-one starting left tackle in the NFL. I have very little doubt about it. Um, if there's any knock on him, you know, it's, I guess, two things. I think people who, who like to scout offensive linemen, they generally, we hear the constant phrase, like they want to see guys who are mean. You know, they want to see them, like, play with a natural aggression. He doesn't necessarily play with that kind of aggression. He's more of a technician. Um, it's not that he couldn't play with it. I think he just chooses not to because he doesn't have to. And he focuses more on the technical control element of his game, which I, I personally think translates better in the NFL, um, especially a tackle. But he, I guess if you want to make a criticism, especially in the run game, he could be more physical and more aggressive as opposed to just letting guys come to him. Um, and there's sort of a small thing about his hand usage or he has a little bit of like this sort of an undercut kind of punch. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of maybe extra movement there. But I don't think that's so much of a knock on him. I think that's just like it's just the way he plays, and he's very effective with it. So very few knocks in his game. Um, he's already a guy who I think if you put him on an NFL roster right now, would be a solid tackle in the NFL. And he's like you said, he's young. He's 20. He has a lot of room for, for growth and development. And he's already you know proven to be a great athlete. So easily OT1. I don't really have much else to add. I think he's a, I think he's somewhere between a top five and top seven pick, depending on how many quarterbacks go. But I, I think most likely a top five pick. Um, yeah, the only thing that I really have to add, um, you know, you're, you're just touching his negatives. So I'll 
I'll add to that a little bit is he's not a he's not a great run blocker. I don't think he's a liability mm-hmm. in the run game by any means. Um, I think you kind of touched on that a little bit with his mean streak that he's not really like a, a mean type tackle. And that kind of goes into being a good run blocker. But, uh, you know, I don't think he has the best grip strength in the run game. Like you just saw it there in a clip. Is you kind of just let the guy just pop off him. You really need to, once you get your hands on their chest, you you don't let go because then, you know, they're not going to call holding on that as long as you keep your feet moving. Um, he, he doesn't ge- generate a ton of power in the run game. Um, so, you know, I, I think overall as a run blocker and that's represented in his PFF scores. I mean, the 59.4 last year and he's a 61.9 so far this year. Now that's something that could definitely get better. Again, I don't think he's a liability, but, um, I don't think he's an advantage in the run game at this point in time. You know who he reminds me of coming out? No. He reminds me of Andrew Thomas. Yeah. Um, I was actually yeah. thinking that today watching yeah. him. I'll use remind me a little bit. Of him. Um, I mean, dominant in college, obviously, but when you look at the translatable traits, he has all, you know, Andrew Thomas, technician, great balance, mirrors guys well, great in pass sets, smart, high football IQ, all the things you you would say about Olufashanu, but if there was a criticism, it was that maybe he wasn't as strong uh, with his hands in the run game and as aggressive in in his run sets. I think that was like one criticism on Andrew Thomas. And you, even in the NFL, like initially that's what it was, and he, he improved that, yeah, right? Because he's, he's such a good player. Well, he wasn't. He's got consistently better year after year. So yeah, no, just a great prospect. I agree with you. Yeah, and he's gotten there, and I think he can get there. Um, the only other things I really have, because you pretty much nailed that as far as um describing who he is as a player. I mean, he's great. One the few times that things do go wrong, I think he's a great in recovery. Um, his IQ is off the charts. I mean, his teammates rave about how smart he is. It sounds like it's not something I normally hear about offensive tackles. They talked about him like he's a center. He's usually the center that's yeah. calling out, you know, defensive line where people are coming from, where stunts might come from. And that's what his offensive line uh, linemen talk about. Uh, who's it? Scruggs or Shrugs that just got drafted? Mm-hmm. Juice, Scru- Juice yeah. Scruggs, the center who went to Houston he, in the second round. He was round. talking yeah. about him and how he always knows what the defense is doing. Just not something you hear about off tackle. And you can, you can see him when you watch this tape about, you know, him calling out protections and pointing things out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a very, very smart player. And you can see it just in his play. He always, he always anticipates when, uh, what a defender is going to do which is a very good trade of him. Um, you know, I'll just touch on a couple last stats here. Um, he hasn't allowed a sack his entire career at Penn State. You see, I didn't allow one um, 2021, 2022, or so far in 2023. He's only allowed one QB hit so far in his career at Penn State. Um, he allowed six hurries last year, only one hurry so far this year. Um, seven pressures last year, only one pressure this year. Keep in mind, he only played eight five snaps in 2021 really just this year and um last year so far but uh but yeah he is a very very good player man and uh i agree i think he'll be a top five pick and uh he he is what you're looking for in today's nfl just being a shut down pass protector as an offensive lineman uh and perfect athlete so um all right why don't we load up our number two on our list um, and just for you guys at home, as, as usual, this is the a top five list, not on any particular ranking. This is me and Monty going through the top guys. We usually look at about 10 guys. 
who are consensus top seven to ten type players, and we kind of come up with our own ranking order. So it may not be exactly what you've seen on other lists, but um, why don't we go to number two on our list? Um, so this is, I think the he probably is the consensus number two off of the tackle in this class. This is a guy a lot of you, I'm sure a lot of our friends are familiar with, Joe Alt from Notre Dame. Um, he's a behemoth. Six foot eight, three hundred and seventeen pounds, with a crazy wingspan. Uh, he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He has very impressive PFF grades: uh, ninety-one point four uh, PFF overall grade, eighty-one point seven in pass blocking, ninety-one point zero in run blocking. He started eight games as a freshman. He hasn't given up a sack since two thousand and one. Not a single sack since two thousand and one. Um, another athlete played basketball. He played defensive end and tight end in high school. Um, the son of John Alt was an Iowa lineman who played in the NFL for the Chiefs. I think he's in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? The Chiefs Hall uh, of Fame, yeah. The Chiefs Hall of Fame, yeah. Um, and his brother Mark Alt is in the NHL. Uh, so you know, athletic family. There, you know, the NFL, the NFL bloodlines. Uh, something we we always look at that you know you got to pay attention to, but. Uh, why don't you go into some more detail on what you've seen in this game? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you'll see him here at left tackle playing for Notre Dame. And, you know, those PFF scores are kind of telling to what he is. He is a nasty run blocker. I mean, he, they, what we people call is a, a people mover. He will take, oh, you'll take these defenders and they'll, he'll just always get pushed back and move them off the ball. He is just, it just comes with his size. He is just a you know planet theory type guy at six eight three hundred and seventeen pounds and on top of that he is just a very refined good player i'll say like obviously i i do like olu more than i like uh joe alt but if i can get a guy who is an advantage in like as a pass blocker but is a mauler in the run game personally that is my preference because I think that, you know, with how fast the the pass game is in the NFL and with how much run game is schemed, I think the way you can really take over a game is by dominating the line of scrimmage in a run game. So if I could get an elite run blocker who's also a very good, like like a very solid pass protector who I don't have to like have a ton of concerns about. I'll take that over an elite pass protector who's just solid in the in the run game. That's just my personal opinion. Interesting. I I I sure. I just think it's because just dominating the line of scrimmage is also just like a mindset. When you can dominate the other team physically, that really helps you. And I think he is the type of guy who does that. Um, you know, talk more about him is that you know his lower half is really in sync with his upper half for being a six eight guy. Um, he, uh, he handles power rushes. Well, I, and again, something that comes with his size, I think he's good athleticism, you know, whether he's, you know, has to you know move to the spot in a run game or making a reach block or, you know, pulling, whatever it may be. Um, and I think his strength shows up in both the pass game and the run game. Um, he, the one thing I will say, he does, as far as his weaknesses, he can struggle with leverage at times. And I think, you know, that comes with being a six, eight player. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, I don't think he 
does anything that really brings it upon himself. I think he plays with pretty good pad height, but when you're six eight, it's just kind of hard to uh, keep up the uh, the leverage game. Uh, and with that, his his hand placement can end up being a little bit high. Um, it hasn't really hurt him so far in college. I mean, you know, as you can you can see with those numbers that I read off there. I mean. He hasn't allowed a sack, like you said, in 22 or 2023. Um, he hasn't allowed a single hit this year. He's only allowed one hurry this year. He allowed two hits last year and six hurries in 2022. He's, you know, he's been really stout. But, you know, you wonder if those mistakes will be capitalized more. In the NFL. They probably will be, but what's the result of that? So, um, you know, in a passing league, there's obviously some questions where how he'll hold up at the next level. And uh, that's probably the concern I have with Joe Alt. Uh, what, do you have anything else on him? Yeah, a couple of small thoughts to finish up. I would say that um, if there's a negative, it's definitely just the natural leverage issue with the height. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. He's six foot eight. And I think in the NFL, uh, some of these, these really quick pass rushers, uh, you know, they will take advantage of that leverage issue, and you're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. Like he said, it doesn't really show up too much on his film in college. Like he seems to get around it, um, but that's something he's going to have to figure out how to do. But he does keep a fairly low base for a guy his size, and he's pretty well balanced for a guy his size. So I think that does work in his favor. Um, he, a couple of notes I had here. He, you know, one of his one of his best pieces of tape is just when he played Clemson last year, and they absolutely he just dominated Miles Murphy, first round pick, just completely decimated him. Um, and maybe that's a problem with Miles Murphy and how he plays, but he, you know, Miles Murphy tried to bull rush the whole game, couldn't get anything, nothing on Joel. So I think he can play against high end talent. Um, there is, yeah, there's an interesting thing about his hands, uh, as you mentioned, like they come high, but and uh, Connor Rogers and Trevor Sigmund were talking about this, um, and this sort of goes back to a video that I think maybe it was Brian Baldinger did uh, an interview with Joe Thomas. Hall of Fame tackle about hand technique and punch. Um, and there's there was a specific technique that Joe Alt uses that I think Joe Thomas used, which is he doesn't necessarily just fire into the chest of the defender coming at him. He has this this punch, and you see it consistently when you watch him, when you really watch him, you see it a lot, where he, he takes his inside hand and he, he kind of just punches into the bicep of the edge rusher who's coming at him. And he takes his outside hand and he fires into the into the chest. So he's got one hand in the on the guy's bicep and the other one on the guy's chest. And he's basically controlling his upper body completely, his arms, his ability to push off of his chest. And he's such a big, strong dude that once he gets that once he gets that grip on you, um, he you see him just twist guys, you know, and he takes them and he's he's able to get them off leverage. It's it's this sort of advanced hand technique that one the fact that he does something that a guy like Joe Thomas did um, speaks volumes about his understanding of the game. And I do think that is something, again, we talk about NFL bloodlines. I think that's something you see with these yeah. bloodline players, right? They have an advanced technical understanding of the game. So even though he's a, he may, there may be some concerns about leverage because of his height. And there's a concept of like, maybe his hand punch is too high because it, maybe it's his height. He, he really uses an advanced technical technique, um, technical technique he uses advanced you know technique to 
to get control of people coming his way. So it's just something to be aware of. Like it's, you don't see it from these other players because I don't think they have access to a father who was an NFL offensive lineman, right? Yeah. So uh, just, just something I be aware. So I mean, I'm kind of high on him. Despite I'm not, I'm generally wary of these like ultra super high, like super tall like guys and leverage issues. But I like Joe Alt a lot. I would I would be thrilled if he if he was somebody we drafted. Um, just in a vacuum, yes. Yeah. You know, I don't necessarily want to invest that kind of asset, but I would be thrilled if he was on the Giants. I think he's going to be a very good NFL player. And um, in terms of like where he's drafted, I think he he's definitely a first round pick. I don't see a world in which he's not a first round pick. Um, I I think uh, probably mid first round, second tackle off the board is my best guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think he could. I think he could go into the top ten. To be honest with you, um, it. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if people see him as a left tackle. Sometimes with that size, you kind of get typecast a little bit more into the right side, um, especially when you're more of a strength as a run blocker. But, you know, I thought you brought up a really good point with uh, the NFL bloodlines. It's something that we've mentioned in the past with other guys, and he is very tight, and, and you can see it. Well, that's the thing. You see that consistent trend, right? These guys who have bloodlines, it's not just like, oh, there's this DNA advantage. That's probably, sure, I'm, I'm, of course, genetics is part of it. But it's the technical understanding of the game that I think other guys don't have. Uh, these guys grew up in a household where I think they were trained in this, and, and you see it. So anyway, I think it's worth mentioning for him. Um, great prospect. Yeah. Why don't we move on to our number three prospect, unless you have any other thoughts on Joe Wall? No, the only thing I just pulled it up on make sure is so to your point about saying mid first round uh brugler does have him as number 16 on his big board he'd probably at this point probably yeah. be closer to top 10 for me personally but um you know we'll we'll see how it all shakes out that, i i think that's more of a reflection of the class's strength in general yeah. so but yeah I, I i think somewhere in that range is about right yep all right why don't we go to number three um this is uh, you. You introduce him, but I'll tell you right now. This is this is one of my favorite prospects in this class. Yeah. So we have the number three guy here, and I know you made you sent me a text uh, about being pretty high in him, and I I was a little bit surprised about how high you you were on him. But you know, I'll let you go into that once I kind of uh you know get us yeah, in you, here. Once you so, introduce him, we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our number one guy here. Or our next, our number next guy. Sorry, our number three guy is Jordan Morgan. Um, he's six four, three hundred and six pounds. He's out of the University of Arizona. He is a three star. He is a uh, fifth year player. So it's his fifth year in college football. He had eighty three point one PFF grade, an eighty two pass block grade, and a seventy eight point six run block grade with 17 pressures allowed and this was in 2022 uh and he was a shot put guy in high school so um i'll say so far this this year he has a 78.4 pff grade 73.2 uh pff grade and an 84.8 pass block grade um so he's definitely keeping up what he did last year while his first three years were not quite as glamorous, uh, basically all of them were between the 50s and 40s. So uh, he really kind of came on in the last year. Uh, the the one other thing with him to keep in mind before I let you dive into him is that he did have some injury issues. Um, more specifically, this last year he ended his 22 
uh, season ended with a torn ACL. Seems like he's come back pretty well from it, but that is something that a lot of teams are going to be wary of and concerned. But, you know, why don't you go ahead and take him here and tell us why you love him so much? Well, I'll tell you why I like the guy. Um, as you mentioned, he's only 6'4 and a half, 306 or so. So he's not like your biggest tackle. Tackles, you're, I mean, you're hearing the other guys like Old Vashano, 6'6. He's the smallest guy we mentioned. Yeah. He's like 6'8 for Joe Alt. So 6'4 is on, on a half, a tiny bit on the, on the small side. 306 is definitely a little bit on the small mm. side for an offensive tackle. Usually these guys are like in the 320 to 340 range in terms of weight. Um, but that's a number. When you watch him play, for a guy his size, number one, he takes advantage of his lack of size, if you want to put it that way, where he's incredibly fast, incredibly quick at the tackle position relative to other guys. So he takes advantage of his lack of size. He plays extremely low to the ground. So he's he's very flexible. He can get into it. like a, He's in the squatty stance the whole time. So he's balanced. He's leveraged. You cannot out-leverage him at the tackle position. Um, he's great in zone blocking. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good zone blocker in combos. He can climb to the second level. He takes advantage of his speed, takes advantage of his quickness. Um, but what I really like about him more than anything is, I, and I, I know he we didn't mention that he has like anything about a wrestling background, which I don't think he necessarily has. He has a track and field background, but he plays like a wrestler. You see these wrestlers who play offensive line, and you can tell that they have this incredible density and strength and leverage advantage over other players. He uses every little bit, every ounce of those 306 pounds as muscle. He uses every every centimeter of his height in, in using his leverage and his strength. He's fast. He's got a good punch. He can move. He mirrors perfectly well. He's fast. He's balanced. He's agile. He does not, despite his frame being maybe a little smaller than the other guys, he doesn't get overpowered at all. He gets into a squatted stance, and he, he you see him like people are not running past him. He knocks them back, um, and he plays kind of mean, right? For he, yeah. he plays right to the whistle. He takes the fight to the next guy, right? He's not, he doesn't. So Oluvashano, if there was one criticism, is he's he's much more cerebral. He's balanced. He waits for moves, and he counters them with mirror, with mirroring and his technique. Um, Morgan takes the fight to the to, to the defender. Like yep. he, he he initiates contact. Um, and I think because he's so athletic and he's so balanced, he's able to do that and not be afraid that he's going to lose the battle. Um, and, you know, and, and he's also, you know, as a fifth-year senior, you could say that's not the greatest thing. He, you know, the way I look at it is he struggled in the beginning and he found his game and he really turned it on. It shows on the tape. He really found his game, became very good last year. He's, he's, he's starting off good this year. And you see the savvy. He's really great against stunts and twists. He has an understanding of offensive line play that I think comes with experience. And I think we're seeing that in this class. There are a lot of guys who've spent a lot of years in college and they're they're coming, they're gonna come out with the experience that we used to see 20 years ago in guys who are drafted, as opposed to the last 10 years or so when guys are drafted after like just two years of playing. Um, so he plays the game like a veteran. He's balanced, he's squatty, he's got great strength, he plays mean. He moves quickly. He's just a good athlete. And I think, you know, he's he's not going to be viewed, I think, because of his size as like a top-tier guy. But I think he's the kind of guy that, let's just say the Giants wanted to take a tackle. Let's just say they said, all right, we're going to get him. I think his size and his injuries and his prior play is going to be held against him. I can see this guy falling in the draft. Right? I can see him falling to, to day two somewhere. 
And if the Giants want to take a tackle day two, this is the kind of guy you take and you can slide him into right tackle. And I think he would be a long-term starter at right tackle. So those are my thoughts on him. I know it's a little long-winded, but I re- I'm excited about the kind of prospect he is and the value he would bring. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on him. No, I mean, you think, I think you nailed it. Um, it's a couple of things, you know, like I think he was probably best for uh, a zone, like a zone blocking scheme just because of yeah. how his athleticism, uh, you know, I don't know how his size and strength holds up to the next level. I think he's strong at a college level. Um, I think he's big enough at a college level. I don't know how much it will hold up at the next level, but I'll say he has abilities that translate. He has that really good football IQ. He he anticipates defenders so well. You know, they'll try to go inside him, and he's quick laterally and sees it coming and stonewalls guys. He you know he does play low, which kind of helps with. You know, he uses that he's a little bit shorter to his advantage to, you know, be low as and win with a leverage game. Um, he he's he is really active hands. So when defenders are um, trying to, you know, work the hands on him, he honestly will. He's making his next move before they make their first. Like he is yeah. one step ahead of them, seemingly when he does it. Um, he's also a really good puller. He, when he pulls, he, yep. he, you can see him make so, some of those big pancake type plays. You know, I think that goes into the aggressiveness you mentioned, but, uh, like you said, I, I'd see him following. I mean, he had injuries in 2020, 2021, and most notably that ACL in 2022. Um, right. although he's playing better this year and, you know, you wouldn't even know from, uh, you know, the tape that he's that he kind of got that injury it's still i think somewhat of a concern absolutely i think that's and i think that's why i'm kind of excited about him because i think he's a guy that will fall i we put him at three mainly because i wanted him at three um but um like the next two guys we're going to go over are in all likelihood are going to get drafted ahead of him almost certainly um you know we just have them drafted we have them a little bit behind him Uh, i think he's a more refined player put it this way i think I think he's a player that you draft him as long as he's healthy, he starts and he's good right away. Um, whereas the next the next two guys are maybe in a little bit of a different category uh, of guys who are more developmental, younger, more upside. So um, why don't we go on to are you uh, to number four on our list? Yep. So um, I'll go ahead and pull up his his tape right now. So. Uh, so I'll introduce him. So number four on our list is uh, probably the rawest prospect on this entire list. It's Amarius Sim, Amarius Mims from Georgia. Um, he's six seven. Here we go again. Six seven, three hundred and forty pounds. Another really tall, big, big wingspan kind of guy. Um, he really hasn't played at all, and I think he's playing now. Uh, he's playing right tackle, but he really only had two starts prior to this season um but in that tiny sample size he played against ohio state in the national semifinal game and was absolutely locked down at right tackle uh, and that's where he caught a lot of people's eyes he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school um one of the top recruits in the country if i recall when he came out um freak power freak athleticism this guy's all traits he's just all traits 
all athleticism and all projection and upside. Um, not much else to add about him. Um, I'll just go through some of his numbers real quick, and I'll let you take it from there. He had a 77.5 PFF grade, 80, 80 pass blocking grade, and a 73.2 run blocking grade. Uh, but what are you? What are your thoughts on Mims? Yeah, man. I mean, there's not a ton to talk about with this guy um, based off of just the sample sizes minimum, as you kind of alluded to. Also, shout out again before I forget the you know this this tape and the one before our guy uh, do a barrel barrel roll on uh, Twitter and YouTube. You can find him there. Um, you know, we couldn't whenever we can't find uh, an offensive line cut up, he's always good for it. So you know, we appreciate you, but uh he's right tackle here it's the only time we've had a right tackle so far so that's that's his position he was he filled in there last year and he's playing there again this year so like you said he put he filled in for the ohio state game and he was also a starter for uh the national championship versus tcu um like you mentioned the ohio state game was a total shutout he didn't allow a single pressure in that game uh but and he has the tools this is an impressive class size-wise between what you saw with Olu, Joe All, and now with Marius Mims, 6'7", 340 pounds. He's, he does, he's much more athletic than you would think for a guy with that size. Um, he plays with a ton of power. And, you know, so far, you know, now that he's getting the opportunity to play, he's, he's held up. He has a, a 70.9 um, PFF grade so far at the 82.9 in pass blocking. He's only allowed one total pressure on the season so far. So he is really having a good year. And he is somebody who I could very much see being a uh, a great player at the next level. And a guy I could see being, you know, right up with the first two guys we talked about come draft time. Because all it is is about putting season of work together and he's off to a good start and you know he in despite you know not playing anything but being a reserve player the whole year he stepped in versus one of the best defenses in the country in Ohio State and he was perfect right away so um I think he's a good player it's funny you called him raw which 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 you're right but he doesn't look raw for how little of playing time he's had he's really advanced in that state well there's another guy that we're going to talk about next who's had a lot of playing time, but it's a little bit different of a story. But uh, before we get into that, do you have any, any last thing on it, on Mims? No, not really. I think this is a guy just to watch. He's, he's. I mean, I know Dane Brugler's really high on him. And a lot of the guys who, I think Brugler tends to, and he's got, you know, obviously he's, the Beast is the best scouting book there is, right? Yeah. But I, I think it definitely is a little bit more geared towards traits. And up and upside, which which makes sense, right? You think you, can, you a good NFL coach gets their hands on guys like this, they can do more with them than maybe a more polished prospect with less upside, like Morgan, we just discussed. So, um, no, I mean, I think it's just a matter of getting this guy reps. Let's just—he's a guy that I think we're going to come back to as draft season approaches after we see his year at a Georgia this year and see what he does. But wouldn't shock me if he's risen up to like OT OT two. Yeah, in this class or OT three or something, you know, I wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, and so and um, I, you know, that's that's about it. Yeah, and to your point, yeah, uh, he's number five on Burglar's big board, so he's only one behind Olu, and he's eleven ahead of Alt. So, 
You know, and he is a guy, Crazy. like you said, he, he, he knows traits. He knows what the NFL likes. That's, that's why he's really good at what he does is because he'll get these guys on your radar early. Cause he knows what the NFL looks for. He was a guy who had Trayvon Walker as a top 10 player before anybody even really talked about Trayvon Walker because he knows exactly what the NFL wants. So, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure he is going to probably be right on this guy, but it's hard to just really make a statement yet. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's go into our last guy here. Um, all right. So number five on our list, uh, you're going to do, um, you'll introduce us to him, but you know, similar prospect, I'll do that much introduction and similar prospect in terms of certain features, but very different in terms of play style. So why don't you get into our last guy here? Yep. So, um, our last guy here is JC Latham and you'll see him here. He is again, we're going back to a, uh, left tackle. He's six, six, 326 pounds. Um, He's unanimous five-star. He was the number two overall prospect uh, in his class. So he was like all positions, number two, number one in the SEC as a recruit, like top of the line talent coming out of high school. He had a 74.9 PFF grade, an 84.6 PFF grade, a 70.9 run block grade. And he allowed only 12 pressures last year. Uh, so, and so far this year, he's at a 73.4 PFF grade, uh, 82.5 pass block grade, and a 67 run block. So very similar numbers. He's um, not off to the hottest start, though. He's already allowed five pressures. Two hur- uh, and of that, it was two hurries, two hits, and a sack. So um, early on with, you know, kind of light. Light competition by Alabama. That's not exactly what you want to see. But, but uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little more about, about him? So, yeah. So, on the videos you're watching, the clips you're watching, this is from last year. So, he's playing right tackle here. He's 65 on your screen. Um, right, right tackle, my best. And he's playing left. He was right tackle last year. He's playing left tackle this year. So, you're right about that. Like the grade this year is moved to left tackle in Alabama, which Alabama does. They take their guys and they move them around from guard to right tackle, left tackle. They go through the the graduation process. Um, he's Evan Neal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so Olu Vashanu was the anti-Evan Neal. Yeah, and this is Evan Neal in all the negative ways. J.C. Latham, is a, he's, he's just a behemoth monster of a human being. <laughs> he's, when you look, it's, I mean, 6'6", 335 sounds like sort of normal size offensive tackle, right? Like right in the middle of what you expect, probably 50th, 60th percentile offensive tackle size. But when you look at him, he is an absolute gargantuan beast, uh, and he's he's another one of these planet theory guys, yep. right? He's just humongous, huge frame, big wingspan, huge arms. Um, has this kind of this big, long first step, but he covers a ton of ground. At, and I think this is sort of, this goes back to the guys who like kind of ascribe to the planet theory, you know, guys like Evan Neal, guys like Orlando Brown, right? Like they're just so big, they cover so much ground that. It's hard to get around them as long as they they kind of stay in front of you and they have their arms outstretched. Um, he's explosive. At the, I mean, for a guy his size, he actually moves pretty well. I mean, he's pretty quick for a dude his size. He's explosive at the snap. These are all good things. He can cover a lot of ground. He's got a good pu- initial punch. He's got a good grip. All of that is good. He's a good pass protector. We, we you just mentioned that. Um, here are the negatives, 
and you're, you, you see it on the film some, he guesses a ton and he's not the best anticipator of what's happening. So if he can sort of anticipate well, meaning if he guesses correctly, it's hard to beat him because he's so big. If he gets into the right position early, it's almost impossible to get around him. But it seems like he's guessing a lot of times where he's not as instinctive. If he has poor anticipation, which he often does, he gets beat very easily. Guys go right around him. Edge rushers, speed rushers go right past him. Um, they go. I mean, they're guys who go right past his face. They, they put like an outside move and they go right across his face and they go to the inside move. Um, he doesn't have the best play awareness. Like his, his, his play awareness is, is for a guy who's had as many reps as him, it's a little bit concerning to me. You know, he's, he just looks way too raw for a guy who's played as much as he has. He'll get caught leaning. He has balance issues when he gets caught leaning because he he'll 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 anticipate wrong, he'll punch or he'll lean, and then he'll get knocked down on a push pull or something. Um, so okay, it sounds like the worst parts of Evan Neal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, I, and I just like it's a little scary. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of there's just a lot there in terms of raw athletic ability, raw talent, measurables. NFL is going to love this guy. Like coaches are going to say, I can turn this guy into like a monster. And they're going to take him. They're going to take him high. But for for me, as a fan of a team that just is watching Evan Neal like deteriorate in front of my eyes, um, and just you know struggle with some of these things, I could like I would run as far as possible from J.C. Latham. I want no part of him on the Giants. Yep. Uh, but that's I don't know what your thoughts are on him. Yeah. No. I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't want any part of Bobby Johnson and J.C. Latham. Keep keep him it's a horrible combinations. Look, when we compare JC Latham and Evan Neal, it's not Alabama Evan Neal. Alabama Evan Neal no. was as refined. No, he was really good. Could be. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, here's just here's a perfect example of their polar opposites at Alabama. And I actually haven't brought up penalties at all for the previous guys. We have those stats. So let me just tell you that nobody before has had more than two penalties in the season. All these guys have been really good. So I didn't even bother bringing it up last year jc latham had 11 penalties he was he was yep. getting a penalty a game essentially and a lot of those were false starts because seemingly it doesn't seem that he's really quick out of his stance and maybe he needs that extra step and so he was trying to get the advantage he he looks slow out of his stance which i'm see a little bit with evan neal in the nfl he's he's really off balance again an issue we've seen with evan neal in the nfl so those are kind of like what we're talking about um he looks clueless out there like he'll he'll take a step you'll not know who's blocking and he'll be blocking nobody and bryce young's trying to be a magician and you know make a play because jc latham didn't block anybody um you know speed rushers can cross his face like giving me PTSD of just watching Evan Neal and the Giants. Like uh, Exactly. So when we say Evan Neal, we mean Giants yeah. Evan Neal, not Alabama Evan Neal. Alabama Evan Neal was special. Um, Giants Evan Neal, like the worst form of him under Bobby Johnson is what, what this kid is at Alabama. Yeah. Very concerning. And, yeah. and he like – he leans really bad when he when they try when they have a guy who does a lot of bull rushes because he's trying to kind of like you know get his weight forward, but then you know they cross him and you lose his balance. It's it's bad, man. Um, uh, as far as the positives, because I just ripped this guy apart. He is an incredible athlete. Like I mean, you can see that with 
him being a five-star recruit. A lot of these guys are. Um, granted, he didn't make Feldman's freak list. Um, he has great strength. He has really good grip strength in the run game. Um, he locks on to people run game and moves them. Uh, you know, he wins a lot with his size. It's just he's so big that you can just wall people off. But yeah, um, I could see where, you know, you if we were in round three, maybe even two, and you had the right coach, I would be interested in him, but not where he's going, man. I mean, Brugler, oh. Brugler has him number 10 on his big board. He, yeah, and and PFF has him at like twenty three. So I mean, again, I think the consensus among people in the draft world is this guy, just based on traits, is a top ten to twenty pick. And I don't Not, see it at all. I I wouldn't take that risk as a general manager unless I know I have Bill Callahan. Yeah, somebody, if, right? if if um, if he goes to one of these elite offensive line coaches, I take everything I said back because I think he could succeed because he has the traits. But at Alabama, he. I don't see it getting better with most O-line coaches. There's not a lot of O-line coaches that have that that advantage, and and he has to go to one of those places to succeed, in my opinion. That's kind of it on him. I, I don't think there's much else to add. I do think he's going to get drafted a lot higher than you and I feel he should go based on these traits, but uh, I hope the Giants avoid him, at least for now. All right, let's go through. Um, that's our top five. So let's summarize them real quick. We had Olu Fashanu um, at the at the top of the list. I think OT one, OT two for us was Joel from Notre Dame. Jordan Morgan was OT three from Arizona. Amarius Mims from Georgia's OT four, and JC Latham from Alabama's OT five. We always try to give you guys one or two sleepers. So we have a couple of guys um, that we kind of uh, we're not going to go through their film. We're just going to kind of talk about them. But they're worth mentioning because they're probably two guys who are in the top 10 overall consensus wise. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, I'll I'll mention my guy first, um, who I think is graded a lot higher than we have him by most people. And it's Graham Barton from Duke. Um, he's 6'5", 314. This guy is a great athlete. He played seven sports growing up, yep. which is kind of nuts. Um, you know, I think the sports were like lacrosse, swimming, baseball, basketball, football, something or other, you know, gymnastics, I think was one yeah, of them. Yeah, it was one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's a, he's a great athlete. He's agile. He's quick. He has tremendous uh, punch and grip strength. He's, he plays kind of mean. Um, he can move. Um, you know, he plays left tackle at Duke. I think his arm length is a little bit questionable, as is his size. And I think that people feel like he's going to get a little bit of but the Peter Skaronsky, Rashawn Slater treatment, fair or unfair. Guys like him might be asked to move inside. I, th I don't think he's quite as good a tackle as those guys were. Mm. So I actually think he's going to end up moving inside to guard. He'll be a good guard. Great pulling guard. Very athletic. Um but, you know, you can see him sticking at tackle, too. He's, he's, he's a solid. If you look at his PFF grades, like he's solid. He, he had, like, uh, I think in 2002, had an overall 88.2 grade. And he was pretty even in run block blocking and pass blocking. So, um, Graham Barton from Duke's another guy to look at. Blocking for, for superstar quarterback Riley Leonard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Daniel Jones you know, the, yeah, the, the newer version the of Daniel Jones, <laughs> so, the upgraded version. Um, so he's, but he's worth mentioning. He's he's a talented kid, and I think he's definitely going to go somewhere on 
in the first or second round just because of his traits and his athleticism at, at tackle. Um, I think you have a guy you want. I don't know if you want to go for Barton at all anymore. You want to mention your guy? Yeah, the only thing I had was that, you know, very similar what we were talking about with Fatno from Washington is this guy potentially could work in the way that you draft from a play guard, but if you still have concerns about Evan Neal, you go, hey, let these guys battle it out. Winner stays at right tackle, the other one moves into guard. You know, you know, where we're at, if you are still trying to develop Evan Neal, I could see that being a good way to go about um drafting uh a next offensive lineman so uh that's you know an interesting thought and could same thing we talked about last week we applied here he's very similar to fountain almost the same height he's almost the same weight um i think fountain is a better player yeah, he's just a little I think more he a better base and leverage or this guy's yeah. a little more athletic but fountain uh, is better i think i think he's a better player yeah so um yeah that's kind of it uh and your last guy you want to go through yep, him so or- it's crazy man we're talking about so much size this episode. I've never talked about so many six, seven, six, eight off the line in my entire life, but we have another one here. Patrick Paul. It's like talking about small. It's like talking about small float forward yeah, in the NBA. Seriously. Yeah. So, Go ahead. Patrick Paul from Houston. Yeah. Patrick Paul from Houston, six, seven, 308 pounds. He had a 75.6 PFF grade. He had a 91.1 pass block grade. And this is the kicker, 60.4 run block grade. Honestly, sounds a lot about our buddy Olu, who is number one on our board. The difference is this guy played at Houston. So the level of competition was not very strong. But and, you know, we saw that with a guy like Josh Jones, who was another guy from Houston who had a lot of success and didn't really translate to the NFL. But I mean, this guy does have traits. He's, you know, has all that size he has a 85 inch wingspan um you know it's like so it's gonna like rival what dewan jones had for that uh he only allowed three sacks and is uh 1652 snaps as a two-year starter you know and you know a lot of those at houston are uh pass pass protection that's you know at houston that's a lot of what they do with dana holgerson I know very well from his time in West Virginia. Um, he is allowed 18 pressures. Uh, I guess he had a foot ankle injury, but we haven't heard a lot about it. And he actually moved from D line to O line his senior year of high school. So he's still relatively new to the position. Um, with that said, he does lack some leverage. And I think, you know, obviously that comes from him being 6'7. But a lot of it also just comes from form. I think it's, you can see it a little bit with both that he does get beat in the leverage battle. Um, but uh, he is—he was a captain for them. Um, he uh, was beloved by the team, from what I've heard. Uh, but you know, go back to the negatives. He—he had—he's a little bit top-heavy. Um, he kind of lacks the lower mass, um, and he doesn't have the best hands or footwork it's worked so far at the college level, but I don't know if that's something that's going to translate to the NFL. Uh, is another one of those dancing bear types, but, um, uh-huh. is not, doesn't always anticipate the best in pass protection. So, um, burglar has him 22 on his big board. I definitely see the appeal in him for sure, but, um, I'm, de- he definitely, 
concerns me a little bit, especially the level of competition. But uh, I I think that it would not surprise me one bit if he came to the NFL and was like a quality quality offensive tackle day one. It's just it's very hit or miss, I think, with him. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of the issue is that I, I think the appeal is his wingspan mm-hmm. and his length. Um, and I think there, there's sort of a school of thought that if you have guys who are big enough and tall enough with a big enough wingspan, you can coach them up and develop them physically where they can be really good offensive tackles in the NFL. I think that's where it comes from. I'm wary of guys who are kind of, I don't want to use the word wiry for a 300-pound man, but he's kind of wiry for an offensive tackle. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's, like you said, he's top heavy. He's not, his, his, he, he lacks mass and he lacks a base. And you see guys who are top heavy like Neil, but who don't necessarily have the base to match it, who, who really have balance issues. Right. And, and they, it's, if it's showing up in college and it's showing up in college, it's my fear is it would, it would be a real problem in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the difference between him and Dewan Jones is that Dewan Jones was a very not only like a like a monster in terms of wingspan, but he's very symmetrical in terms of his weight distribution, and he has a strong base. And I think that makes it a lot easier for Dewan Jones to succeed. His issue was more footwork, and you know, getting getting his getting to his landmarks, and he got a great coach in Bill Callahan. Voila, it's fixed, and the guy looks like he's going to be a really good tackle in the NFL. Um, I think with Paul, I think he's going to have to put on some mass in addition to getting coaching and, and it's, it's a lot of projection. So, um, burglar has him higher. PFF has him as 108. Yeah. So there's a big discrepancy there. And I, I'm actually kind of like more with the PFF guys on this one. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to be desired there in terms of taking a guy that early at 20 something. So a lot of risk, um, a, a lot of risk, um, upside, but yeah. risk. Yep. And all right. Yeah. Any other thoughts on him or any of these other? No, guys? that's about it. That's about all I have on it. So you know, those are our offensive tackles, and we've officially finished the trenches for for these reviews so far. That's crazy. So we've again, we've done wide receiver, we've done interior D line, we've done edge rushers, we've done interior O line, and we've done offensive tackles. Yep. So we've got both sides of the trenches covered. We threw wide receiver in there because everybody likes wide receivers. Yep. Uh, especially in through. giants land we're we're about halfway through um and so you know we got to figure out what we're doing next week and we haven't really quite, quite sorted out we still have several position groups to go including running back quarterback um tight end safety and cornerback so those are all coming um and off i can promise you it will not and off all linebacker i'm sorry um not sure that we're so we're not doing quarterback yet for those who are asking um we're probably going to save that one towards the end uh but uh now we're getting there so um any closing thoughts on this before we uh close out our show yeah i mean i just wanted to say again thank you everybody for listening um you know we appreciate all the love and support we've gotten so far um make sure you go ahead if you're watching on youtube and hit the thumbs up go ahead and subscribe to our youtube channel um, if you're, you know, listening on our, one of our podcasts, make sure you subscribe to us, uh, subscribe to us on Twitter as well. Raise five stars. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Monte Cristo at M O N T T E C R I five T O. And then you can find Sal at Queens guy. 
it was queens underscore guy um do you have anything else sal no i mean uh just kind of scrolling through our week five games nothing crazy uh in college football this week i mean i think there's a lot of division games so for those who want to see the west coast game there is a game actually tomorrow night um it's a pretty good game actually oregon state versus utah yeah, good for those who care um two tank two uh teams that are ranked um you know on saturday there's a lot of inter interconference matchups um texas kansas might be interesting georgia auburn used to be more interesting i'm pretty sure it's going to be a beat down um michigan nebraska you know maybe it's interesting because nebraska always manages to somehow get themselves in like to in like 10 7 games no matter who they're playing <laughs> um uh Notre Dame Duke might actually be interesting. Uh, and I think that might be worth watching. We went over Joe Alt and we went over um, we went over the Duke tackle. And um, it, it might be an interesting game to watch. Graham Barton. Um, Riley Leonard is a quarterback that I'm not a huge fan of, but he is on the radar of a lot of people yep. for Duke. Um, Notre Dame has Sam Hartman, who's played really well, um, who's an experienced transfer quarterback and Notre Dame lost just a nail biter last week, an absolute nail biter to Ohio state. It was a heartbreaker at the, at the, at the gun they lost. So that's a good team. Uh, a lot of prospects to look at in that game. So that might be the game you guys want to focus on. Other than that, again, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, give us feedback, like us, subscribe, like Monty said, we're going to get through these episodes and we really have some interesting stuff that we're planning after we get through these 11, we're going to have these 11 episodes. Um, and hopefully you guys watch it in real time. And But more importantly, we want it there for you guys to come back to as draft season comes. If you get more interested in these prospects, you can reference these things. We're going to keep these on, obviously, on YouTube and on, on Apple, whatever you, whatever your format is, um, to whatever your medium is to listen or to watch. Um, but we're going to have some pretty cool stuff planned after the, we get through these 11 episodes. We're going to focus on things like coaching, um, scouting, a lot of stuff that we're, we're, we really want to bring to you guys. So... Keep tuning in, and I think that's about it, Auntie. I'm, I'm going to close it out there. We're at about one and a half hours. Yep. Um, let until we see you guys next week. Uh, I'm Sal. That's Monty, and you guys have a good week. Go Giants! Nice.